Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 with me. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13 will be our focus this morning as we continue to look at the offices that God has established for the church. Last week was the pastor elder office. This week is the office of deacon. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, I want to read to verse 13. It says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, Just a little history on deacons I think would be helpful for all of us this morning of asking that question, what is a deacon? Uh, This word comes from a Greek word here. Diakonos, this simply means servant, servant of the church. And in the Bible, actually, uh, if you read it much, you'll see quickly that all Christians are called to be deacons in this sense of service. We are all to serve. Uh, we are not saved just to sit and do nothing. We, God saves us and gives us a purpose in his kingdom and the ability to be able to, to serve others, even our family, our friends, whatever it might be. We are able to to serve. We, we see this in John chapter 12. It should be on the screen. John chapter 12, verse 26. It says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That little part there that says, There will my servant be also, is there will my deacon be also. Same word there. And so we are called very clearly to serve God as believers and we serve our king and we serve him because of what he has done for us and we want to honor him with this now we know that it's important for us then to put others first before ourselves just as just as Jesus did it's our king that we look to it's our king that we do our best even to replicate knowing that we can't perfectly but we want to do what he did and we see that Jesus did this we'll we'll look here again a little later but in Philippians chapter 2 Verse 1 through 3, Paul says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. We see this call from Paul that we are to follow in the footsteps of our king, which we'll read more later there in Philippians, who would, in obedience to the Father, lay down his life for us, right? And so the church we see is at its best when we're all, and I think I made this word up because the computer put a red squiggly line under it, which means it's wrong, Uh, but we're at our best when we are deaconing well, serving well, when we're actually being the servants that we are called to be. Yet with this in mind, that we're all called to this task and to serve, 
Clearly we see here that God calls for the church to have this official office, which is labeled as deacon, or the office of servant. And this office is to be held by men who are called by God, who are called by the church, and who are exemplary in their service to God and their church, who are people we can look to, uh, even in our faith, to see how they are living out their faith. The history of deacons within the church is actually a little complicated. Uh, if you go in your Bibles, and I do want you to turn here to Acts chapter 6, keep your thumb there in First Timothy, but go to Acts chapter 6. Uh, I want to read the first seven verses uh, with us because we see these servants of God being called out probably for the first time. It's kind of interesting when you read Acts. You know, you have Pentecost, you have the church growing. And for a few chapters in the life of the church, things were good. But it only takes to get to the sixth chapter, which the church was kind of established in the second chapter. So you really only have four chapters, and all of a sudden we have a problem. All of a sudden there's some complaints. And so look what it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. It says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now we see here, as I said, a complaint comes up, and there was a solution found. And what is interesting to note here is that when the complaint came up, the apostles didn't say, will you stop complaining? Just get out of here. No. A legitimate complaint came up. And it was like, okay, we need to deal with this complaint. We need to, we need to solve this problem. But they were not willing, they said, to leave the word and prayer of which the apostles were called to do, said, we cannot do this. This cannot be our task as the teachers of this congregation. And so something else needs to happen and take place. And so we see within the church that the word of God and prayer still remains central, even outside of the other needs that would happen, the needs that would take place. But again, those needs weren't just pushed aside. It was we need to find a solution for this. And so another thing that's pretty interesting as you look in Acts chapter 6 is the 12 the apostles didn't pick them. What did they do? It says that the 12 summoned all the disciples together, the whole church together, and what did they say? The apostles said, we need you guys to pick out some people. Find people who are a good standing. This is what it says there, right? It, it lays some things out. Pick from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who you will appoint to this duty. And so we see the whole church being involved in this process. And then what did they do? It says the congregation did this. They chose respected men from the congregation. It says they bring them before the apostles there. It says the apostles then pray for them 
and set them apart for this particular task that was there for the church. And what I really like is what happened? The men solved the problem. The apostles didn't solve the problem. The men solved the problem. Now, I'm not saying that the apostles couldn't have talked about it. They couldn't have had an idea. I'm not saying any of that. But what happened was a complaint rose in the church. The teachers of the church say, church, pick seven men to solve this problem. They did that. They prayed for these men. These men then went and solved the problem and dealt with the problem. And what did it do? It helped the church. We even see, it says, because of all this, the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Why is this? It happened because of the work of the deacons in this instance. They were faithful to fill the tasks that God had called them to fill. And so we see a healthy church that continues to grow and function well. Well, as you get into the early church after Acts, uh, we see that deacons were charged with carrying on, it seems, physical and outward needs of the church. Um, and these were difficult things. I want to read a quote. This comes from Charles DeWeese. Uh, listen, listen to what the church uh, deacons did early on in the church. It said, They visited martyrs who were in prison, clothed and buried the dead, looked after the excommunicated with the hope of restoring them, provided the needs of widows and orphans and visited the sick and those who were otherwise in distress. In a plague that struck Alexandria about 259 AD, deacons were described by an eyewitness as those who visited the sick fearlessly, ministered to them continually, and I want you to note this, and died with them most joyfully. This is what the deacons did in the early church. They ministered. Now, I dare say, if I didn't say anything about deacons and I read that quote, many of us today would say, that's the job of a pastor. But no, that's the job of a deacon. And thankfully, in the early church, they did it very faithfully. And it was this kind of love. It was this kind of love that caught the eye of the lost around them and drew them in. You see, to be a deacon in the church, in the early church, was a place of honor, but it was also a seat of service, and it was a seat of, of sacrifice. They loved their Lord for what they knew their Lord had done for them, and out of that, they said, we want to love our church family as well. No matter what it might risk us, we are going to love them well. And it is said that as they did that, people in Rome and in surrounding cities took note and wondered, what is different about their love than ours? Why would they deal with the dead? Why would they rush into that home when they know that person's sick and they could get sick? Well, it's because I love them. And I love them because Christ loved me first. This is the work that the deacons would often be doing in the early church. Now, these deacons were not just people, it seems, who cared just about physical needs, but <clears throat> they were very well equipped in the faith as well. We know it says that about Stephen there in Acts chapter 6. But we have many stories of deacons ministering and even teaching people the truths of God and being burned at the stake for it. It's said of one deacon, his name was Lawrence. Lawrence was arrested, he was tried, he stood before the council there, and the council said, you have three days to bring us all the money of the church. Because the deacons would have been the ones in charge of the money because they were helping minister to the needs of people. And so they would have been in charge of that. 
And so Lawrence had three days. And so what he did is he went and he got all the money situated. And what he brought back before the council, listen to this, was the members of the church. And he says, this is the treasure of the church. Well, I didn't go over too well. They burned him alive. But it was said that as he was burning, when he was on one side, at one point he said, hey, flip me. This side's done. It's time for the next. You see, they had great faith that what they were doing was important because it was important of what Christ had done for the lost. And they were included in that. Now, when Rome got involved in the church, we had some issues start to take place because there were structures put in place within the church and it was to combat some things that needed to be combated, uh, heresies and different issues that were coming up. But what happened is this led to the church creating another office. It's not necessarily an office we see here in 1 Timothy. All of a sudden, the office of bishop was an office, the office of elder, and the office of deacon. Now they had three. As a result of this, sadly, the office of deacon began to be watered down over time to the point where the office of deacon really was just a secretary to the bishop. And what we see happening in history is deacons actually began to stop almost all of their charitable work. They were just secretaries or it was a stepping stone in order to get to the priesthood. And we see this continue through the Middle Ages. Because in the Middle Ages it was, you have to become a deacon, then when you become a deacon, you can then become a priest. It was the quick stop before becoming a priest, even though we don't see that scripturally anywhere. It's not a, a scriptural mandate for this. And so serving the church and sacrificing for the church as deacons, really what it became in the Middle Ages is it became a way to enter into heaven. They, you started to see uh, justification being earned by sacrifice, to be, to be earned by giving, and the deacons were seen as ones who were doing this or trying to do this even. Sadly, that's a, a misuse of this office as you continue in the Middle Ages, you see archdeacons come into place. They would oversee other deacons. And what's odd is those were the people in town who started to become rich. So you can see the scandal there, can't you? As the church's money came in, the deacons were becoming rich, when in fact they were the ones who were supposed to be serving and giving. Well, thankfully, in the Reformation, things started to change. We see a restoration of the office of deacon. We again see deacons being ministers of mercy and to the poor and to the needy in the congregation. No longer was the office a stepping stool just to become a pastor or whatever it might be. No, it's seen as a genuine calling of God that I am a deacon in the church and I'm here to serve the church, to love the church, and to care for the church. And we see faithful men throughout time doing this. And we're thankful for this. You see, God didn't by accident establish these two offices of elder and deacon. There's a purpose for it. For the church to function well and to be healthy, it must be done. Now I can say on a side note, when you guys called me to be pastor here, it was very obvious to me that we had some issues in the church when it came to service because what I started to find out is when one of our deacons would go and visit somebody, it didn't count. It didn't count. People would say, well, nobody from church visited me. And I'd be like, that's not true. I know one of our deacons saw you. That's not a pastor. It's like, oh, 
Yeah, but it's your church member. And that actually is the position of deacon. They are to be the ones to go and visit you and to serve you and to care for you. And the church actually has done a great job in doing that for you. And you're sitting here telling me it doesn't count because it wasn't a pastor? Yep, that's what I'm telling you. I don't like you anymore. Okay. You see, that's unhealthy. And it's unhealthy because we have a bigger church. Not enough pastors to visit everybody and to really care for everybody how it needs to be done. Now, what we can have are deacons who do that well. And I'm very thankful for the deacons that we have here. Uh, We just actually ordained three more a couple of weeks ago. And they are doing their best to serve and and to honor and to meet needs. And I'm very thankful that they do that. And as their deacons do that well, the church becomes more healthy. As this office of deacon is viewed how it needs to be scripturally, by you and by me, our church will be much better off because we will then be able to be served well within our church by these men who we call to be deacons because we will see them not as, yeah, you're just some lowly little deacon, but no, it's these deacons care about us. They love us. They care for us. They're willing to walk into the hospital when I'm sick and risk themselves. Why? To to pray with me. They're willing to get out in the storm and drop off a generator. Right? They're, They're willing to get some of the church funds and buy me some groceries and bring them to my house. See, that's the work that I see our deacons doing, and they do it regularly, and they do a very good job in ministering to our congregation. And because of that, we'll see the health of our church continue to grow as they do that more. Now, as we get to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and we look at our verses, it gives us a list of qualifications for deacons. Now, many of these are similar to the ones that we talked about last week with the elder pastor role. And so I want to go through some of these. First, it says, uh, should be dignified. Somebody with dignity and respect within the congregation. This should be an obvious thing. But then Paul gives a list of negatives. Not double-tongued. I don't want to stop on this one because this one is important. One of, the, one of the major roles of a deacon is to help the church be unified. That, that's one of the major roles of a, of a deacon because as pastors stand and lead and teach, oftentimes the deacons are the ones in the, in the middle between the pastors and also everybody else in the congregation. And so as, as deacons are out and about ministering and serving to the congregation, what normally happens, at least in the instances when I get to do this, people talk. You normally don't just give somebody groceries and they just, all right, and slam the door. There's usually a conversation that takes place. Or as you're caring for somebody, maybe you're with them for a couple hours, things start to happen. And so as our deacons do this, what's probably going to happen quite often is they'll start to hear complaints, won't they? something about the church or whatever it might be. And it's interesting that Paul puts in here, do not be double-tongued. Deacons are ones who are not to be gossipers. They're not to be ones who just sit and agree with everything they hear either. As the member of the congregation is going off about something, they're not just supposed to say, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's double-tongued if it's not really true. They need to be willing to speak truthfully and to correct things. But in order to, to with, this, with this in mind, though, is to be unified. 
as a church family. And so Paul says, do not be double-tongued. Do not be addicted to much wine, which is the same thing that said to elders earlier. And also not greedy. Now again, this is very important because oftentimes deacons, as they serve again in, in mercy ministry and they're ministering to people, they're going to have their hands on church funds of who's getting uh, needs met and how is that being done. And so it's important then that as we call deacons that it's not men who are looking for gain. We're not looking to become rich in this office or be, be greedy, but ones who are willing to partake in this mercy ministry uh, well and to care for people, but to do it wisely. Well, after that, Paul goes on. says, not greedy for dishonest gain. Verse 9 they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So there is a, a thing with deacons, and I think sometimes this can be a little confusing, because nowhere in the role of deacon does it say they should be teachers. That's the elder's job. But it also doesn't say they should be ignorant when it comes to their Bible. Because another important aspect of them ministering and caring for the church isn't just to feed somebody, but it's to let them know why we are feeding them because of the love of our Savior. To be pointing people to Christ, always. And so they need to be able to handle the scriptures. They need to be able to meet with somebody by a bedside who is struggling and has no hope, and to be able to tell them, remember who our hope is in. It's not in the things of this world. Look to Christ, even during this trying time of your life, or even when you're laying on your deathbed. Look to Christ. Look to Him. He is our hope. So a deacon must first have this faith. They must be a Christian themselves. Trust in the Lord with everything. And it's interesting that it says a clear conscience. Hold the faith with a clear conscience. So someone who knows their Christ, who's serving God, who's trying to honor him with their life, and this allows them to have integrity, which gives them a clear conscience in their faith. No, are they perfect? No. They want to serve their Lord. They have a heart for the Lord. And then there's ways to look at that. Look at verse 10. It says, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So there's a testing there. Have they, have they proven themselves within the congregation? Have they proven out their faith? Do they, are they men that you look to and say, I... I don't think they're just out here working. They believe what they're doing. I really think they love the Lord. I, I, I mean, it's been proven over time. I know that this faith is real inside of them. And again, the whole blameless word comes up, which we talked about last week. For people in the congregation don't have anything against them because they are walking what they put their faith in and believe in. This is something that's really important, this, this tested part. I've really been thinking about this a lot lately because it's the same with, with uh, elders and pastors. Now, normally with deacons, you do see them come up within the church, right? Uh, we've never like said, hey, we need some deacons at MMBC. Anybody in the community want to come and apply for the job? We don't do that. That seems foolish. But that is how we hire pastors. Have you ever noticed that? Don't make any sense. Hey, we need a pastor. Anybody out there want to come and teach us? It bothers me a little bit. Now you say, well, what's the solution? I'm not sure yet. I'm still working that out in my head. 
But I do think it becomes a task of the church, of the elders and pastors, I didn't say too much about this last week, to purposefully raise up from within the church more pastors and teachers. Not just to send them out, but to, say, to stay because they have been proven and tested. And it's the same with the deacons. We don't just find some new convert and say, hey, you should be a deacon here. They haven't had a chance to prove themselves. It needs to be men that we trust, who've been here for a while, who we know care for us as a congregation, and who's going to love us well and point us to Christ often. Well, it continues on. Verse 11 says, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. So again, we get this idea of managing their home well. Same with the elders and the pastors. And their homes, are they respected? And their homes, are they loving? Are they doing their best to lead their family to Christ in a sacrificial way? Something that came up at the men's conference, and I think this is helpful. Do they lead their family out of fear or out of love? That's a big question. And oftentimes you can see it. You can't always see it right away, when you, but, but you guys have been there before. When you get to know a family and you get to know a couple, and after a little while you're like, something's off here. And you're like, yeah, I think, I think he's king. I think he rules his home with an iron fist. It doesn't seem too loving. It seems a little more demanding. That's not what we're looking for with this position within the church. Does his family love him? Do you see him loving his family selflessly and they honor him and respect him for that and then do they love the church that way as well <clears throat> goes on verse 13 it says for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus notice that it says serving well as a deacon is a blessing when you have a deacon who serves well, what does it say? It says they have a good standing within the church. Their church loves them. The people respect them. And notice as they serve, their faith grows. They also, it says, great confidence in the faith. As they serve, one of the blessings that God does through service is it allows your faith to continue to grow in him. Continue to love him more. And this is one of the blessings of being a deacon. Is, is, is the church sees you and loves you as you love them, and then your faith continues to grow in the Lord because he continues to work in you, to mold and make you into his image. If you've ever done any service before, you start to realize really quickly how unqualified you are for the position. Whatever it is, as you try to minister to someone or, or to care for someone and you're trying to teach them the word of God or you're trying to talk to them about the hope that can be found only in Christ, usually what happens is you walk away thinking, I just told them everything I don't do. That's what you realize. And you're like, oh, I shouldn't have been the one in there because I struggle with those same things. But what is God doing to you in those instances? He's pulling out them sins in your heart, isn't he? That would never happen if you didn't serve. You wouldn't even think about it. But because you're serving, he's pulling on those roots of sin that are deep down in your heart and allowing you to actually think about how prideful you are all the time, how selfish you really are all the time. And so then you have the privilege of being able to go to God and say, God, continue to remove these from my heart. Thank you for letting me serve and showing me these things. 
Because without service, I would have never known it. I would have just sat here in my sin thinking I was all hunky-dory, and I'm not. And that's one of the blessings that the deacons get to experience. There's a book that I, I, I like on deacons. It's by Matt Smethurst. It's a, it's a real small book. It's, it's very easy to read. And in his book, he says there's really three things that deacons do. Because apart from this passage that we have here, there's not much the Bible says about deacons. Like, what is their task? What is their role? What are they going to do? And so, in different church, you see, you see di- different functions and different ways that they, that they function within the body. But it seems to be a general consensus. There's three things mainly for deacons to do. And I, I think this is important for you to hear as a church family because you do have deacons here who need to be doing this for you. And you would hold them accountable to this. One is they need to be spotting and meeting tangible needs within the church. This is something that you'll start noticing in the bulletin. Our deacons do this currently, uh, but now we're going to be advertising a little bit so that maybe you can come and help meet some of those needs with them. But spotting it and then meeting it. I think our deacons would agree this is something that's been a little different with me. I think some of them were frustrated, and I asked them to forgive me for this, but one of the first things when I became pastor is I told uh, our chairman of the deacons was, I don't think I'm going to come to your meetings. What? Yeah, I'm not coming. You don't need my opinion. Now, if you need my opinion, I'd be more than happy to meet with you. And so have me come, and I will do that. But you guys are intelligent men, and you know how to meet these needs. I trust you. I trust that you can do it. You've been called to this. God has called you to this. I trust he's going to have you do this. And what I've found is they're doing it very well. Very well. Doing a good job with it. And I'm thankful for that. And so our deacons spot and they meet tangible needs within the body. But also, their job is to protect and to promote church unity, as I've already talked about. To be ones who support the pastors and elders. To support the teaching ministry. right? To come alongside of them, but also the congregation, to push people forward in their faith. And that's an important task of the deacon. And then the third thing that he says there in his book is serving and supporting the ministry of the pastors. I think our deacons do a good job in this as well, of encouragement often, and I'm very thankful for that. Now as we look at this with deacons, obviously we have to come to Christ. You know, I was a little hesitant to really preach the qualifications of elders and deacons because as you look at it, it seems all law. It's not a message of, of hope. It's not a message of grace. And to be honest, a little part of me was like, it feels like a waste of time. Because on Sunday mornings, when you guys walk in here, you guys need to hear about hope. I need you guys to hear about grace. I need us all to remember that. Because we don't get much of that outside of this room. But as we look at this idea of being a deacon, we know that Jesus himself, as I mentioned earlier, was the supreme servant and the supreme one in deaconing. That word that I made up, I think. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, I already read verses 1 through 3. But in 5 through 8, as Paul's telling us to love each other, to care for each other, to be a church that's unified, to put each other before ourselves, he gives us an example. And the example he gives us is Jesus. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When we look in the Bible and we say, what is our example of what it means to be a servant? Or for those of you men in here today who are deacons, you ask the question, who, who can we look to as our example of what it means to be a good deacon? It's Jesus who we look to. It's Jesus who we, who we look to. And as we look to Christ, who is our supreme, the supreme servant, it really leaves us without much excuse, doesn't it? Well, if I go and minister to that person, I don't think they really like me. I think they're going to be kind of mad at me, and I'm afraid of what the conversation's going to be. And to be honest, I don't even know if they're going to accept my help. Well, that's a valid excuse. Don't do it. I see excuse Jesus did, didn't he? Oh, many, many won't trust in me, so why would I even do this? No, he still did it. Now, of course, there's other questions that have to come up. I don't think in order to be a faithful servant of God, you should neglect your family all the time and constantly be out ministering to everybody. No, you need to minister to your family too. Love them and care for them. But it really gets rid of a lot of excuses when we really read Philippians 2, 5 through 8 and try to understand how are we to care for each other within the body of Christ? How much am I to love you? How much am I to care for you? You know, I think about this every time I walk into a nursing home. You know what they have on a nursing home door now every time I go? This building has COVID. Every time it says that on the door. I've never seen it not there. This, I just want you guys all to know, this building has COVID. And I have no doubt in my mind that there are many people who will read that sign and say, not worth it, I'm gone. I would say let that never be so of our deacons. I would say let that not be so either also of our pastors. Because it's the body of Christ in there. Our family. Someone who Jesus died and saved by his own blood, just like you and me. And they're in there all alone. Maybe questioning their hope. A long time since feeling any joy. And God gives us the privilege to maybe walk in there. To hold their hand to talk with them, to pray with them, to point them to Christ. Far be it for me to say, you know what? I'll just play it safe today. I think of those deacons in the early centuries who would go into that Alexandrian town when the plague is happening and people saying, what are you doing going in there? You will die too. Well, let it be so. I'll die with my brothers and sisters. We'll go to glory together. But if the Lord wants to save me, then let him save me from it. But if I die, at least I'm with my family. Now I know, logically, to many of us, that seems ignorant. Cannot God do much more with us alive than dead? The answer, actually, to that is no. It's to these martyrs, often, that we look, who encourage us in our faith, isn't it? Still to this day, not the guy who said, you know what, you guys go. I'm going to bounce it over here. We don't know that guy. But we know the guy who was burned at the stake. And it's their testimony that often encourages us, isn't it? 
And why do we do this? We do this because Jesus pointed us to this. I'm going to read one last section of verses. It's in John chapter 13. Pastor Spencer actually read this at the deacon ordination. I want to read, it's John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, and then I'm going to skip to verse 12 and read through verse 17. And I want you to remember that as I read this, what's about to happen is Jesus is about to be tried, crucified, and buried. That's what's about to happen in Jesus' life. Now, I want you to think about your life and your situation and how often any little thing can make you say, I can't think about that now, I have this on my plate. Think about how often that is for you. I can't think about that right now, I have this. Whatever it might be. How often we are willing to put ourselves ahead of everything else because we have a headache, because our nose is runny, because we don't feel that good, because we have a big week coming up, whatever it might be. I want you to think of how often that happens in your own life. I know in mine it happens often. Well, Jesus is about to die, and for the very first time in his life, his father is about to turn his back to him and make him bear the sins of all. Not his own sins, because he didn't have any, but about to bear the sins of all. And I want you to hear what Jesus does right before it. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. As we look in our church for deacons, these are the men that we want who follow Christ's example. Now listen, I don't want anybody touching my feet ever. If you ever offer, I'm going to say, no, don't touch me and get out of here. But that's not, what, that's not the point. Some people try to, actually, some people try to take this passage and turn foot washing into a sacrament. That is not what's happening here. Jesus says, I'm giving you an example. What is it? It's his heart in this matter. He's about to give his life for mankind. And he says, you guys call me teacher and Lord, and guess what? I am that. But look what I just did to you. I just did the lowliest job on the face of this planet. I knelt down and I cleaned your stinky feet. This is what it means to serve. It it may be a a section where you see Jesus brag a little bit because he is saying, I am greater than all of you. I'm the Savior. I'm the Messiah. I am the King of the Jews. And I just knelt down and washed your feet. 
this is what you then should do. Now, Jesus isn't giving this example to deacons. He's giving this example to all of us this morning. As Christians, this is what we are called to do for each other. And and listen, if you hate what's happening outside these walls, I can promise you there's only one way that the people outside of these walls will ever be interested with the message that we have to give. And it's this, because the Bible says it very clearly. They will know by how much you love each other. There's no other way. You, you could say, Pastor Tim, I think we should buy all the billboards in town and plaster it up that Jesus loves them. I promise you, nobody will care. No one will care, and it'll be a waste of money. You say, oh, Pastor Tim, I think we should put a tent outside, and we should have music, and we should just ask people to come in. I can promise you this. They will use us for all the free hot dogs we can give them. It'll never bring them in this room. They will never care. You say, then what do we do? How do we change that culture out there? How do we reach them with the gospel? The Bible is very clear. You get down on your knees and you start washing each other's feet. You stop acting as if your schedule is more important than the person sitting next to you. You stop acting as if you're busier than everybody else. We are all busy. You stop acting as if you have it worse than your neighbor because you don't. And you just start loving people. You start selflessly putting other people before yourself within this body, within this congregation. And the Bible tells us this then they will know. Why would you do that? Your power is out. Why do you keep taking your generator to other people's houses? You've got sticks all over your yard. Why do you keep going to other people's houses and helping them cut down their trees and fix their yard first? Why in the world are you doing that? I'm doing that because my Savior loved me and they're my church family and I love them. We'll be okay. My house is fine. Nothing's happening. My basement isn't completely flooded. We'll be fine. But my brother's hurting over there and I'm gonna go love him and that's what I'm gonna do. See, that's just a practical way that probably happened this week for some of you. This is how they will know. I love how clear that is in Scripture because we don't have to search and say, God, what must we do to reach Monroe County? He says, read your Bible. It's right here. Love each other and it'll happen, I promise. So then we must ask, why aren't we reaching Monroe County? The question might logically fall. Maybe we're not loving each other how we should. Maybe we are a little disunified. You know, I, I don't say this on my behalf, but uh, this weekend, the speaker said something to me that I thought, you know, that's true, and I know that I'm guilty of this too. He said, we have kids who are raised in church, and then they leave the church, and you wonder why they leave the church. And you're like, I raised them in church. And what he challenged us men with was this. He said, when you leave church on Sunday morning, how often do you complain about service? And then you wonder why your kids don't want to come when they get old enough. Because all you've done is complain about it, he said. I thought, gosh, I do that. I'm the pastor, and I do that. I do that often. I talk about frustrations within the body of Christ, not the blessings within the body of Christ. And I wonder how often my kids then hear that at home or whatever it might be. Oh, I felt like I was stabbed in the heart when he said it. I'm like, that is, that is me. And I sit there and preach, we should be unified. 
and love each other and care for each other. But I do wonder, why don't we reach Monroe County? And maybe the answer is we don't serve each other like we should. So you say, Pastor Tim, this was supposed to be about the deacons. Well, it is. I think we have like 12 or 13 of them. I'm not sure what our number is right now. But to those men, serve us well. Serve us well. Thank you for the service you've done, but continue to do it. Continue to lead us by your example of what it means to take off that garment, kneel down, and wash somebody's feet. Be the example that I need. Be the example that those of us sitting in this pew need from you. But to the rest of us as a congregation, as those men do that, number one, let us love them well. Let us love them as they serve us. Love them. Make it, make it be a joy for them that they get to serve us. Honor them when they serve us. Be appreciative of them when they serve us. Don't say things like I said before, like, well, a deacon did that. The pastor didn't do it. Listen, the bread he brings is probably going to be better than the bread I bring. I'm going to buy the dollar loaf at Kroger. They're probably paying $2.59 for the giant one. I'm not willing to do that. But love them well as they serve. But also, let's follow their example. You don't have to have the title of deacon to love your church member. You already have the title you need. That's church member. That's the title you need to care for each other. And as we do that, I promise you, because the Bible says it as a truth, by this they will know the love that you have for each other. Because we should all know, I hope we all know in here, we love each other because he has loved us first in our sin. We're all messed up people. We're all undeserving of grace. We're all undeserving of love and care, but yet God in his great kindness to us would pour out the blood of his son on you and on me. And what he asks of us then as he puts us together as a church family is he says, now love each other. You see what I've done for you? Love each other. And as you do this, they'll take notice. So hopefully church family will be faithful to that. Let's bow together. Pray this morning. We're going to end in a song like we always do for you to respond to the word of God. God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that you've established these offices of pastor, elder, and deacon. God, help us as a church, as a local congregation to fulfill these offices well. Help the pastors to teach the word and to preach the word and to be people of prayer. Help our deacons to be servants, to love this congregation by their service and their care. And God, I really am so thankful how I see that so often in our body. I see the hearts of our deacons who want to serve. They want to love people. And God, I pray that that would extend even to our congregation. That we would care for one another. That we would be people who put others before ourselves as often as possible. Who are willing to lay aside our schedule, our wants, even our desires, sometimes even our needs. To put other people first. Help us to have great compassion for our church family. Unify us in Christ and nothing else 
I don't want to be unified just by our location or socioeconomic status or anything like that. God, help us to be unified on Jesus and on him alone. Because God, I, I believe that when that happens, when we believe that the gospel is true, when we believe that the gospel is true for me, but also for these other people around us in this room, it is then we will love how we should. And as a result of that, others will take notice. And then we will be able to share with others outside of this room the true story of the gospel, that Christ died for them. And we'd be able to ask them, will you believe in him? And so God, I pray that you would open those doors. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to honor you. We thank you for how much you love us, that you would be willing to send your son to die in our place, to spill his blood so that we could be justified of our sins, so that we could be given his righteousness. God, we thank you for that. Help us to praise you now through this song we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.